It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Mobile phone companies say they offer home internet. But if their internet comes from a cell phone network, you should know. It's just phone internet, not home internet. Keep your home up to speed with Cox. Cox internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5G home internet. Cox is the real home internet you're looking for. Based on Cox analysis of UCLA speed test intelligence data, Q3 2022 and Cox serviceable areas, visit cox.com slash internet for details. gentlemen to the Wednesday edition of the Axon Bulletin. My name's Colin Watt, I'm your host this afternoon and uh, as you can see we don't have Kev, we don't have Brian, but we do have Super Kev, we have the, sta- the stand-in Kev, we have Kev McCluskey all the way from Hungary. Kev, how are you doing? I'm doing alright, but I'm not sure I'm meriting the Super Kev tag, It was uh, it's my gremlins that have caused it to be late, so I'll hold on. I was, I, I was going to let you get away with that as well, <laughs> oh, but... No. Um, now, now you can feel free to fire in and have a go at Kev for his being late today. Um, but no, it's great to have you on board. Kev, we were speaking about this a couple of weeks ago, right? So I don't know what it's like over in Hungary, right? But we spoke about, and it's quite ironic because the two of them are skidging today. They're off, right? They're, they're away on holiday or they're, they're missing the show, put it that way. So we've heard that it's been called skidging, skiving, dogging, plugging. 
What, what what's it called in uh, Hungary? What would you say in Hungary? Was the Hungarian word for missing school deliberately? Um, I don't know. <laughs> Sorry. My, you need to ask the kids. You need to ask the kids. My Hungarian isn't good enough. I just think it's uh, it's frowned upon to miss for any reason. So that's all I'm aware of. <laughs> right. Well, that's it. That's that's uh, Brian and Kevin being told it's frowned upon it's missing frowned an axon bulletin. Yes. That is them. Welcome along to everyone who's in the chat today. Uh, we're going to get you very heavily involved as um, you can help ourselves get through the next uh, hour or so. We've got a lot to discuss. We're going to be discussing um, the game ahead on Sunday by taking a look back at the two fixtures between the teams already this season and seeing where improvements have been made and where we have to be cautious ahead of the game on Sunday. We're also going to be talking about the Home Cup ticket scheme with the announcement that the semi-final tickets are now on sale. Um, let us know your experiences of the Home Cup ticket scheme and what changes you would want to make to it going forward. I've seen a lot of unhappy Celtic fans after that and it's understandable why once we get into the details. We're also going to be talking about the Adidas Generation Tournament that the Celtics under-15s and under-17s have been invited along to. Um, actually, it's in the next week or so over in Austin, Texas. Celtic are going to be coming up against some of the best youth sides in the MLS, as well as some of the best in the world and Europe's elite, including Manchester United, Roma, Porto and Valencia. And finally, we have a lovely um, roundup of the not the 10 o'clock news, um, which has got a great story involving Kevin um, and something that you'll have seen in the news quite recently. We'll talk about that later on. We'll leave you in suspense. But first of all, Kev, let's start on the home cup ticket scheme. It's the thing that seems to be the rage on social media at the minute. Obviously, the tickets have been announced for the semi-final against Rangers on Easter Sunday. Looking at it, the allocation Celtic gets roughly around 21,500 tickets. Both sides get that, and then you've got your sponsors and your hospitality and um, families and stuff like that. So looking at it, when you look at the membership of the Home Cup ticket scheme, which is what Celtic have decided to do this on as a ballot of them, Celtic have somewhere in the region of twenty six to 30,000 on the Home Cup ticket scheme. With only 21,000 tickets, it does say that almost, what, one in three will miss out? Yeah. Um, I think, in, you know, seeing in something like this, I think the Cubs kind of, in a, between a rock and a hard place, yeah. it's the best way to proceed with it. You know, a club with the, the fan base of Celtic, you're always going to have the vast majority of fans that are going to miss out uh, on an occasion like this. Um, but yeah, I'm not sure if this home cup ticket scheme is the right approach as to how we distribute the tickets or if it should really just go on a public sale of first come first serve. Um, my understanding of the the ticket scheme is it's really only available to season ticket holders. Mm -hmm. Um, so I mean, that straight away kind of removes the chance of a again, say the large majority of the support of not being able to make this game and creates that kind of the divide between the supports of uh, you know, your opinion and whatever is not valid, the same if you're not a season ticket holder. Uh, all fans are created equal, but season ticket holders are more equal than others kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So I, I personally like to see that uh, tickets for a game like this just goes on a public sale. But again, from the club point of view, you want to reward the season ticket holders by giving them the chance. So possibly they see this as the best way forward. But um, yeah. Some people might say, well, why 
why is Kevin sitting over in Hungary getting to decide whether ticket season ticket holders are, are not should be given the access to this game? What I think this actually will take is for someone from the outside looking in to see what is going right and what is going wrong. Now, there's sort of four or five major talking points that's came out of this. Um, and the first one is that fans who potentially were at Dundee United on the Monday night, which was a great turnout, and the Alloa game earlier on in the season, may not have been picked out in the ballot. Now, you think of how difficult it is to get tickets for away games this season, you would surely think that in total we're talking maybe 4,000 fans between the Dundee United and the Alloa game travelling all over the country should surely get the first opportunity to get a semi-final ticket. To me, Kevin, that argument makes a lot of sense. I think it does. I think that there's probably quite a few arguments that you could put forward as to how you distribute the tickets that make sense. And that's definitely one because you know, those tickets were, I think, available to everyone. Um, if you've, and if you've made that effort, as you say, on a Monday night to go up to Dundee, that is a major commitment. You know, you're, you're probably having to take time off the work to go to that game. So, yeah, potentially, as you say, it's only 4,000 tickets. Reward them by saying you will get a ticket for the Cup semi-final because ultimately, semi-final and the final are the games that you want to go to. Mm-hmm. And that's the ones you kind of pay your dues by going to the smaller games beforehand. Uh, that's, that's the thing that gets me. I mean, I know people that are going to Ibrox on Sunday. Now, that's what, 7,000? Sorry, I wish it was 7,700-odd <laughs> um, that are going to be going to Ibrox on Sunday. And some of them don't have tickets for the semi-final. And you're yep. thinking, if you can get such a, a tight allocation, a ticket for such a tight allocation, and you can't get one when we've got 21,500, then that doesn't seem right to me. No, it doesn't. Um, but at the same point, there's probably the view that you're then just rewarding the same fans every time. So have a more open ballot and get more, you know, a, a wider fan base at these games. Uh, I know that... When I used to live back in Scotland, I've benefited um, by, by not going to some of the smaller games, managing to get tickets for cup semi-finals and finals. And, you know, it's it's a great feeling to get to go to those games. But at the same time, at the back of the mind, there is that, you know, do I deserve to be here as much as somebody that did go to Dundee on a Monday night when I couldn't be bothered because it was too much of a travel? Mm. You know, that, That's a lot of the... Um, the, the debates and there is more that I'm going to bring up I mean IH Decorating comes in to say my daughter got a ticket and I didn't in the ballot but because she's under 16 she's not permitted to purchase now stuff like that that's just the common sense that doesn't yeah. add up like, if if the rules are that you can't buy a ticket if you're under 16 then you shouldn't be able to be pulled out of the ballot alongside uh, or not alongside the person that you go with who is clearly over the age of 16 I mean, that's that's just rubbing it in their face. Exactly. That seems to be the <laughs> the most obvious one to solve. You know, you either don't put an under-16 in the ballot if they can't go by themselves, or if they're pulled out, their guardian, the person that would normally go, gets a ticket also. That seems very sensible and straightforward. Brian Roberts comes in to say, I got success in the ballot. Congratulations, Brian. I have to admit, I didn't. Um, so if anyone has a spare ticket, you can let me know. Um, Robert Highland, now this is this is going to debate what we were just speaking about here. So Robert Highland says, season ticket holders should be given prim- priority in his um, opinion, but then Ridiculizer comes in to say, not everyone can afford a season ticket. Does having one make you more of a supporter than someone who doesn't? And that's a lot of the argument that you see on social media all the time. 
Um, and I don't think it does. But when it comes down to games like the semi-finals and the final, there does have to be some sort of structure put into place that says, um, well, for example, season ticket holders, this is your reward for backing us. But then it's a difficult one to put across, as ridiculous as I say, because you're not wanting to separate or create a class between season ticket holders and non-season ticket holders. But there is not, there's not going to be one solution that fits all. And this is the point that I was going to get on to is, how do Celtic go about inconveniencing the least amount of people? Because it is only you only get 20-odd thousand tickets, there's 50-odd thousand of a, a, a season ticket holding, you've got so many other thousands that maybe go to the games when they can get a ticket. For example, that Rafe Rovers game earlier on in the season that went on public sale, someone maybe went and picked up a ticket for that, they're thinking maybe a chance I can pick up a semi-final ticket, final ticket off the end of it. It's very difficult and it's disheartening because as a, t- a fan of Celtic and even I'm sure Rangers fans are having this same debate at the minute as well is when you only get 21,000 for Hamden, that means only so many can go. Whereas Hibs Hearts, which is the second semi-final, if they were to get the exact same allocation, which they will, then you're talking about well, non-season ticket holders can go and I can invite my granny and my auntie and my uncle and people will fly over from all over the world just to come to the game. And I, I don't know whether it comes down to the fact that, for me, I think Hamden isn't fit for purpose or is it that Scotland should be looking to build a bigger national stadium or should games like this be moved to somewhere with a bigger capacity like Murrayfield? Uh, I'm... I'm in agreement that uh, Hamden's not fit for fit for purpose. I don't think it has been for years. Um, if you go there, it's a terrible atmosphere when you're stuck behind one of the goals. You like, feels like you're miles away from the atmosphere, and not only that, getting to Hamden can be a nightmare. Again, remembering when I was back in Scotland and we'd go to the games at Hamden, we'd be a, a mile, mile and a half walk to the stadium from when the bus would drop us off. So, in so many respects, I don't think it's a fit for purpose stadium. Um, I don't think we should really be building a, a bigger stadium, though, for Scottish football because it doesn't merit it on, on the whole. But I would be quite happy to see these games move to Murrayfield because well, that's 70,000. Mm-hmm. You could split that 30,000 each and 10 for corporates and hospitalities. That would be a, a more even split. And then you take the second semi-final and put it somewhere like Pataudry, which they would fill out. Or... You know, just a again a, a smaller capacity stadium that both sides would fill, and that would enhance the the atmosphere at that game. Um, but yeah, to get back to the point of how the Celtic distribute the tickets, there is no golden bullet that's going to answer that one. That's going to please everyone. There really isn't. I think potentially, as you've said, uh, giving it to the guys that have been to the first couple of games makes sense because you can then follow that journey throughout the whole cup run. But then, yeah, for the rest of them, your, your season ticket holders will feel that they deserve it as a reward, as you say, for, for putting the money up front. But then, yeah, you are discounting guys who maybe just can't afford to buy a season ticket. They've got other commitments, work on a weekend, and this is their chance to get to a big game, the, the once or twice a season match. So it's, it's a very difficult one. There's just never going to be an answer that's going to please everyone. No, and I'm going to bring up a, po- a point that from the Facebook user in a second that's quite along those lines. But Brian Walsh comes in to say, people going away regularly and on the home cup ticket scheme should get a ticket. 
the club have to look after the regulars. It's a no-brainer. And I, I've seen that argument. That is the main argument, I think, on social media. Is a lot of ones that are maybe going to Dundee United and went to Alloa that didn't get tickets for it. That is a bit of a slap in the face for them, to be honest. Um, Facebook user comes in to saying this has just blocked our faces, so <laughs> that's maybe saved someone um, a bit of hassle here. I joined the Home Cup ticket scheme at its inception to make life easier and to save me going to Parkhead and stand in a massive queue every time there was a ticket game. You don't need to worry about that anymore because the ticket office is never open. Um, not to get access to a ballot as it turned, as it turned, it, the club decided to use this method to distribute tickets for big games. I missed out on the semi-final, but still think it's a fair way. Not perfect, but then tell me again, what would be a perfect way, I ask? That seems to be the problem. There is no actual answer to this. Um, there doesn't seem to be one that will suit everyone, and that's what I'm saying. Celtic have to look at it as a way to find a way to inconvenience the least amount of people, and they believe that this is it. Yeah, <laughs> that, that does seem to be how they've gone about it. Um, they say we could talk about this for a while, but I, I just don't think there's, a, there's an answer that solves it for everyone. Uh, as I say, I, I get it that season ticket holders want to go to every game and it is, uh, say, that reward for the outlay at the start of the season. But I do also feel that these games could be open to more people, you know, fans that can't make it to every other game. There's just not a an easy answer. You will always anger someone with the with the solution that you come up with. And the thing is, if you want it badly enough, then there is these secondary ticket markets that have popped up, and I saw tickets going for ten times the face value, which is ridiculous for a game like this. And that again tells me why um, maybe Hamden is not fit for purpose for games like this. I mean, this is a game that could have sold three, four times over, and that's great, but. 50,000 and as we say the, the, the atmosphere and things like that especially with the the SFA now owning the stadium and the fact that the national team's on this bit of a bounce you think back to the days and I saw someone in the comment section earlier on speaking about the days where you used to get 100,000 at Hamden Pat uh, Santos coming in to say back in the olden days 100,000 at the, the 1971-72 uh, cup final with Dixie Dean's hat-trick I mean I'm not saying you're going to get 100,000 at Hamden for maybe a game against Austria on a Wednesday night, but having that stadium as a sort of centrepiece, I think is something that Scottish football could look into going forward. Yeah, well, I'd probably use Murrayfield though for that one. I don't think Scottish football can fill a bigger stadium on a regular basis to make it financially viable and worthwhile. But for a game like this, <coughs> excuse me, when you've got look, Celtic's got 50,000 season ticket holders, Rangers got about 40. So there's 90,000 people that can go to games every week. Um, you've got a stadium of 70,000. You're only going to inconvenience a, you know, a, a smaller number than you are putting it at Hamden. So maybe Murrayfield is the, is the answer. Uh, and I think if, anybody's, if anybody's coming in to say maybe about the size of uh, Hamden and how... A, a country of this size could fill a 60, 70, 80,000 seater stadium. All you need to do is to all you need to do, sorry, is take a look down to Wales. Wales have got the Millennium Stadium. They use it for the rugby. They use it for the bigger football games, and that can fit eighty thousand. England have Wembley, ninety odd thousand. I don't think there's anything that would stop Scotland having a sixty to seventy thousand national football stadium. That four games like that would absolutely be full. Mm-hmm. 
the proviso in that I think we need to be that it's a football stadium and not this bowl thing that Hamden is just now. Uh, 60,000, is your national football stadium. You get the crowd closer to the pitch. That creates a better atmosphere in any case. Um, for me, it's just, you know, uh, you'll fill it for the big games, but how often would you use it? And how often would you actually fill it out with a, a Celtic Rangers Cup semi or final? But, I, I guess I guess it depends what music acts are in town as well. well as you see, there's, there's, there's a lot of music acts, for, isn't it? For, another, for other purposes. So, yeah, I mean, I'm, I am blinkered, I suppose, that I'm only thinking about <coughs> a football venue. If you do open it up to concerts and that again, it may, may become a more viable option. But um, Hamden is, 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 not, is not suitable. It's not fit for purpose. No, and it's, it's redevelopment's probably one of the worst things that's ever happened to Hamden going down its long, illustrious history. Yeah, I don't really think there was much of a redevelopment as such, was it? It was just seats that went in and exactly. all the work was done inside. But the actual shape of the stadium and anything to improve atmosphere and acoustics was pretty much non-existent. Mm. Well, congratulations to those who did get a ticket for the semi-final. I'm sure it'll be a fantastic day out and hopefully one will uh, cross my path over the next couple of weeks because I'll be gutted to miss out. It was the only one out of my pal group that, that didn't get one, so... Fingers oh. crossed, one turns up. Um, Come on, someone help calling out. <laughs> looking ahead to um, the, our opponents in that semi-final, we actually play them this Sunday. And the main tagline we have here is how Ange Coglu restored belief within the Celtic fan base. What we're going to do is we're going to spend the next uh, wee while looking across the last two games, uh, looking at the difference between the last two games and making our prediction of who we could see lining up for Celtic on Sunday. Um, now, let's go back to sort of deepest, darkest last August, um, 29th of August to be precise. Celtic lose 1-0 at Ibrox, uh, a goal from Philippe Hollander in the 66th minute, Kev. I know when we were speaking about this, it was a bit of a sore one because you had to go back and look at it and it's not exactly. what remember, but... Here was the Celtic lineup that day. So in goals was Joe Hart, a back four of Anthony Ralston, Stephen Welsh, Cal Starfelt, and Joseph Juranovic. In the midfield, we had Ryan Christie, Callum McGregor, David Turnbull. And up front, it was Leila Bada, um, Odson Edward, and Kyogo playing off to the left. Now, one thing about this game and watching it back uh, last night and this morning was despite the fact that we've changed that team so dramatically, it wasn't one-sided at all. Celtic were very much in that game. And when you look back at the chances, on the balance of the game, they really should have came away from that game with something. Yeah. Um, I pretty much blanked this game from my memory, as you know from a little <laughs> chat last night. I'd uh, completely forgotten the majority about it. And when I checked the teams, I to double-check, I was looking at the right season because we had Ryan Christie and Edward in the team and... It seems like a lifetime ago that mm-hmm. they represented us in kind of forgotten about them, which is uh, such a oh, vote of confidence in the team just now that those two guys who were massive under the previous regime being replaced and yeah, like so pretty much forgotten about that they, they were ever a part of the side this season, such has been the improvement. But I looking back at that game, remembering the chances we had, Eddie had his chance in the first half. Yogo had a couple of chances in the second half after he went through the middle and we we could have won that game we we could at least have left at the point if not winning the game because from my my dreadful memory as it is 
I seem to remember it being quite a, an even game. Rangers didn't create too many chances. Uh, you know, they scored the, the header from a free kick, I think it was, which was their one real effort on goal. Other than that, it was a fairly even game. My only kind of big disappointment from it, apart from the missed chances, was that after Rangers scored, I don't really think we did all that much to kind of up the tempo and go after the game. But you've got to remember and think that this was a team that was just finding its way under Ange. It was very much in the early stages of any sort of development. And, you know, you've run through the team. Anthony Ralston in the team at right back. And this is before Ralston's become the player that he is now. Mm-hmm. We're still thinking of him as last season's kind of bomb scare Ralston. You've got Stephen Welsh, probably the most experienced uh, the defenders, mm-hmm. certainly in terms of uh, Celtic appearances at that time. And that's that's a frightening thought because he's only, what, 20 years old. Mm-hmm. Uh yeah, you've got Christy and, and Eddie who probably had like at least a foot and a half each out the door by that point and, and not as committed as they were. Some would say Eddie's foot that was out the door was the one that missed the sitter after well, 20 well, minutes. I think it probably was. Because <laughs> if that had been in the door, that would have been a goal. And then, yeah, you've got five boys that were making the Glasgow Derby debut in the starting lineup, And another one coming off the bench, um, Montgomery. So... You know, for for that team, probably the performance was a lot better than we remember it being. It was mm-hmm. a lot closer. And then, you know, it's it's just been leaps and bounds of improvement since then. Yeah, and looking back at the stats for that game, Celtic had 66% of the possession. Um, there was 15 shots from uh, Rangers and 10 from Celtic. A lot of those were outside the box, only four on target for Rangers, three for Celtic. Um, as you say... The, the big thing and the one I want to focus on, sadly, is the, the goal from Philip Hollander. And when you watch it back, uh, basically what happens is as the cross comes over, Hollander's allowed to make his run. He peels off at the back and then charges forward to gain that momentum so that when he actually connects with the header, the header is far too strong for uh, Joe Hart, who gets a hand to it to keep it out. And at that point it does look as if Celtic were zonal marking they were just marking across the six yard box they weren't picking up man on man and that allowed Hollander to get the the shot on target now that kind of goes back to something that Celtic had been having to work on from the season before as well was the amount of goals that they conceded from crosses and corners and at that point when you're looking at that and you're thinking geez there's still a lot of improvements to be made but when you compare it to the back four that plays in the next game, which we'll get to in a minute, you can see how the understanding and the partnership between those four this season has dramatically improved what was one of Celtic's major weaknesses. Yeah, it has. And I think that uh, the consistency in the back four selection that we've had, certainly since the turn of the year, if not slightly before that, has been a major contributor to us being more solid and, and capable at defending corners and set plays which, you know, as you point out, was a uh, major hamstring of the team last season. Yeah, definitely. And the game after that, it changed. Celtic brought on Sorrow for Eddie and Rogic for Turnbull. Um, and at that point, Kyogo moved out onto the, the middle of the park. Uh, basically, played. we went up to a 4-4-2 at that point. And we played Abada alongside Kyogo. Now, Kyogo slipped through... Um, 
about a minute later on and Ryan Christie's sitting at the back post for a, a cross instead Kyogo takes the shot another potential opportunity that they could have had and then maybe two three minutes later Kyogo makes the wrong decision to sort of square it instead of taking the shot on and you see at that point Celtic are coming more and more into the game but it's one thing that Celtic had to work at is their decision making it was the same last season, it was the same earlier on this season and we see it in games after that, like the Livingston game, um, both at home and away. At times the decision making had to improve and I think that is one of the things under Ange Postacoglu is what we have seen is at times they, they're not trying to maybe take that shot on straight away. The way Ryan Christie would last season, they're instead trying to find the right pass and if it takes three or four passes, yes it can be frustrating as fans, you want to try and get to route one as quick as possible, but the build-up play is getting there um, and they are waiting for that right opportunity to play the correct ball through. Yeah, and I think that's just something that was kind of naturally going to come with time um, under Ange because he was looking to implement a new way of playing, something that was different to last season, to weed out the bad habits from last season, which was never going to happen overnight. Um, and, you know, definitely the work that they've been putting in in the training ground over the course of the season so far is paying dividends on the pitch because we're putting in a lot more smarter performances and that probably didn't sound very smart the way I said that but we're putting in a lot lot more smarter performances in that we're just using the ball a lot better than we ever did you know uh, there's no sequence of passing just for the sake of passing we are getting the ball forward quite directly but we're capable of pulling it back and recycling it from side to side when it needs to be done and in front of goal um, you know, we've definitely improved in the decision-making there. I really felt for Kyogo in that game because I kind of felt he just wanted to make a really good impression in, in the big game. And he's missed that one chance. And Christie's had a proper go at him, if I remember rightly. Yep. And then he gets the chance again just a minute later. And he thinks, right, well, this time I'm not going to make the same mistake. I'll play the pass. And you just wonder if the second chance had come to him five minutes later, does he have that bit more self-belief again and kind of, uh, ruthlessness about his game that he's going to take that shot on certainly would now So, but you know there was fine margins I think that really cost us in that game and we've improved a lot since then Robert Little coming in to ask what's the relevance in looking back at that game this one will be completely different what we're actually looking at Robert is we're looking back to earlier on in the season we know this game will be completely different the lineups will be different it's just seeing how far Celtic have actually come over the short period of uh, period of time, but there is some things that you can pick up from on those games that run through a lot of both Celtic and Rangers performances throughout the season, and things that we should look out for ahead of the game on Sunday. For example, of the fifteen shots that Rangers had on goal, a lot of them were from long range, and a lot of them were from the boot of Ryan Kent. Now, this is something when we get to the game in February, that is also um, something that Rangers capitalise on is taking shots from long range. You see Ryan Jack hitting the bar and Ryan Kent basically having shots from all over the place. What I do think it shows, though, is it shows Celtic are stopping them from coming through and getting the opportunities in the box where last season, when we lost 4-0 there at Ibrox and a lot of the goals that we conceded at Ibrox last season were Rangers breaking through our defence and getting one-on-one with the goalkeeper. Restricting them to shots from long range is probably one of the reasons why we've only conceded one against them so far this season. 
Yeah, I think it's always good to look back in the previous games because that's where you learn from your mistakes and you can kind of progress forward into the next game. But of course, once we get to the game on Sunday, what's happened in the past means nothing. You know, it's as they say with the any derby game, the form book goes out the window. So it is just what happens in the pitch in the day. But you know, you're completely right as well to to kind of highlight that that where Rangers had been getting their goals in the previous seasons, it had been kind of slicing through our defence because the defence was all over the place. Mm-hmm. And now what we've done, even with that defence that played in the first game and then certainly with the defence in the second game at Celtic Park, is we've solidified a lot. We've got a far better understanding. Um, and despite being a more offensive and aggressive side, we're leaving less space in behind. And Rangers do not have the players in the midfield, or certainly haven't in the first couple of games, to be able to work their way through that. So we have, we've we've made an improvement and restricted them, changed their way of playing, that they're now having to rely on those long-range shots rather than getting into the 18-yard box where they'd have a better chance of scoring. And, and it, it was 4-1 in that game that I brought, so we did score. Uh, I've forgotten all that. I rubbed rub that one out <laughs> the memory bank. Um, Joe Porter says we need smarter performances, not Sparta performances. Sparta, what a Oh, that still gives me nightmares as well. Um, look, so the, the unused substitutes for that game were near beat on Albin Ayeti, Scott Bain and Ozazi Urigidi. After that game, we were sat sixth in the Premier League, having won two and lost two with a goal difference of plus 10. And at that point, there was some questions being asked, that has to be said, of the Celtic rebuild and how far it has came along. Um, but I think if you look back on it now, in hindsight, the early signs were good. The changes that had came from the performances last season to even that one there, despite losing, we maybe never noticed it at the time, but that was an early sign of what was to come. Yeah, and you don't realise it at the time because you're only focused on the result to a degree. Um, and at that point, I know, again, shocking memory, I can't remember if that was the second or third away game of the season. Second. Second, and then we lost the game at Livingston as well. So we lost three away games in a row, and you know results weren't good. Mobile phone companies say they offer home internet, but if their internet comes from a cell phone network, you should know it's just phone internet, not home internet. Keep your home up to speed with Cox. Cox internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5G home internet. Cox is the real home internet you're looking for. Based on Cox analysis of UCLA speed test intelligence data, Q3 2022 and Cox serviceable areas, visit cox.com internet for details. This week on The Marketer's Report, Patrizio Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, direct to consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on building trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy. And we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. As the number one audio company, iHeart Media gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the data you need to grow. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. So obviously that there was going to be some see the doubt coming in. <coughs> it is only with hindsight and looking back that you can see you know, look at the team that went out in that game at Ibrox. It wasn't a particularly strong team, but we had chances to win that game. And you can see, or you can see now, the beginnings of something. But you can't at the time because, you know, it's such a big game. You're not really 
and in one sense you're not that particularly bothered about the performance you're just focused on the result so I mean it's easy as I say just to get carried away with the results but looking back uh, that that may be one of the games where you, you can see early signs of uh, kind of building blocks being put in place yeah, definitely. Now we go and skip forward now to uh, February 2nd, only a couple of weeks ago, um, the 3-0 victory over uh, Rangers at Celtic Park. Goals from Hitati and Lil Abada. If you look at the team that lined up on that Wednesday evening, with Joe Hart and goal, a back four of Juranovic, Cameron Carter-Vickers, Starfelt and Taylor, a midfield three of O'Reilly, McGregor and Hitati, excuse me, and a front three of Leila Bada, Georgios Giacomakis and Jota. Now, even looking at that lineup, Kevin, you're looking at, what, three, four, five, six, seven, seven changes to that team? Yep, and in such a short space of time. Yeah. Which I think possibly, <coughs> excuse me, possibly makes that result even more remarkable, or the, the whole sequence of results that we're on just now, is that, yeah, in that short space of time, Postacoglu has completely changed the team from where it was, and we're getting better results than we were last season. So the improvement has just been—it's been exponential from week on week, basically. You know, and yeah, that that was an, an incredible performance. And I was hoping, in a sense, from the first game to make the point that oh, there was five debutants in the game, and that may have been a reason why we didn't do so well. If you look at the second game. There was four players that were making the debut in a Glasgow derby and another three came off the bench. So he's even able to bring these guys uh, into this kind of environment and they're, they're capable of playing in these games, which is which is a fantastic thing as well. Uh, what you're looking at is this is probably, probably the first game where Celtic have had a settled team going into this game. We're going to make our predictions of who will line up on Sunday and at the minute for me, there's maybe only one potentially two positions where you're unsure who's going to play there. And considering the difference from the start of the season, and even this game in February where we wouldn't have said this was our strongest team at the time, that improvement is incredible. Now, going over the game in general, Celtic only had 45% of the possession to Rangers, 55. They had 11 shots with seven on target. Rangers only had two. Um, from their nine shots, which is showing again that Celtic are forcing them to take the shots from long range. Um, and Celtic had 10 corners to Rangers too. Now, obviously, early goal in from Hitati, uh, the man behind me in the, the poster here. Uh, a cross coming in from uh, Matt O'Reilly from the corner, another debutant. Um, falls to the edge of the box. A nice bit of footwork from Hitati as he puts the right-footed shot past McGregor. Five minutes in, it really set the tone for what was coming ahead, didn't it? It did. And you just going over your stats there, especially with the possession one, it's uh, it's exactly what the, the last commenter mentioned there about playing smarter, not sparta. Yeah. <laughs> because we did, we played a smarter game in that one. We went out and the game plan was to win the game in the first half. And we blew them away with just a kind of relentless attacking performance. And by half time the game was over. Yeah, I mean, five minutes in, to already have that, there was a bit of a debate at the time because of the two Rangers players that clashed heads. Um, but 
<laughs> and I'm going to bring this point up as a, a bit of a joke here from Scott Howe. If Cal Mack can play with a Zorro mask, can Aaron Ramsey play with a walking stick? <laughs> there is thought that Aaron Ramsey will be out of that game. But in the serious point there is, I think when you looked at the lineup for that team and you saw Callum McGregor in it, because he'd been missing for the last couple of games with that sort of eye cheekbone injury, that was almost as if Celtic went into that game 1 0 up because they've got their captain back with one of their most influential players. And for days even before it, it did look as if that wasn't looking very likely. Yes, I remember vividly seeing the team sheet uh, in here in the living room and I was excited because Callum McGregor was in and you got a real buzz uh, and feeling that, you know, we're going to do this. We really are. And so that was me just sitting here in the house by myself pretty much. So you can imagine the lift that that's given the 60,000 fans that are there, the lift that that's given the team. You've got the captain back in, in there uh, into this big match. And that his performance, I thought, was exceptional in that game. Just showing exactly what we miss when he's not there, that kind of common influence in the midfield, but also the player that's, that's there just to drive us forward and to dictate the tempo as, as uh, he sees fit. Yeah, uh, Robert Wallace p- points out one of the, the kind of highlights from that game is um, when he was chasing Barris, it's back <laughs> telling him basically he's, he's scared to take him on. Um, and it is it's having that leader and that influence in the middle of the park, that was one of those things that you're kind of feeling, do you know what, bit nervous beforehand, but when you see McGregor on the team sheet, you're thinking, right, we can get this done. And we, we definitely did on the night. Um just after the goal, we see Jota trying to capitalise on a mistake in the Rangers' defence. He tries to curl one past McGregor, who makes a great save, and then Georges Giacomacchus follows it up with a powerful header. And that, at that point of the game, is one of the first times you see Giacomacchus getting on top of one of the Rangers' defenders and showing them that they had a battle ahead of them for um, the next 60 minutes or so that he's actually on the park. He gets himself in so many good positions in this game and easily could have walked away with a couple of goals as well. Yeah, he could have. And it's one, uh, I'm, I'm not going to let myself forget this one because at halftime in that, in that game, doing the show with Laura, I'd said, you know, oh, what if Jack Amakis, <laughs> you know, what about him? He's, he's got to score at least one of those chances. If he didn't score that, it's, you know, it could be a completely different game and what have you. And uh, I think I was a little bit harsh on him. And I'm more than happy to eat any words of uh, you know that were against him at that point, because again, looking back, watching the game again, the first chance that he's got with the header, he, he actually does magnificently well just to get to it because yeah. he's got that, that kind of standing jump and he's up and he's won it. Um, and McGregor makes another fantastic save. Maybe another keeper's not getting to that. Uh, and then again, likewise, his other two chances, I do feel he probably should have put one of them away, but he is up against a top quality keeper and McGregor. He's made good saves. But for the full game, or the 60, 70 minutes he was on the park, he really bullied and bossed their back line. Goldson and Bassey, they, they couldn't cope with him. And he was he was incredible. All he needed in that game was a goal, and it would have been a man-of-the-match performance. Absolutely. I, I think what you see is he has a contribution to the next two goals that uh, that isn't a direct contribution. It's not an assist. It's not a layoff. It's not a getting involved in the play. But it is that influence that the Rangers players have got where he goes in his mind and not thinking about other players that they can pick up on the park. And when you get to Hatati's second goal, 
It's a lovely bit of play down the right-hand side. It starts from Cameron Carter-Vickers playing the ball out from uh, the centre-half position. It goes out to the right-hand side. We're Celtic were getting a lot of joy. Um, you had a lot of great link-up play with O'Reilly, Juranovic, Abada, guys like that all playing this sort of quick one-touch passing. It had the Rangers defence drawn all over the place. And there's Hatati, maybe 25 yards out with all the space of Celtic Park to look up and curl his shot past McGregor. Now, when you look at it, Abada's got players running that way. Jack Amakis has moved out the road, so he's got players running that way. Hatati's found that space in the middle. And it takes an intelligent footballer to get into that sort of position. And with the technique that he's shown, it was a fantastic finish as well. It was. It was an unbelievable finish. Um, you know, again, sitting watching, I couldn't quite believe that he'd scored it because I didn't expect the shot from that position, that angle. I uh, I, I thought at first his view to goal was blocked by would have been Jack Yamakis and the defender in front of him. But uh, as clever as Hatati is to make the space and get in there, again, don't notice it as much at the time. It's clever play by Jack Yamakis to pull the defender out of position and then create that little bit of space. And if you're a player as good as Hatati, all you need is that half a yard to aim at that little space. And he's used uh, Jack Yamakis and the defender's kind of a shield to bend that one in. It's a, it's a top, top, top finish. And with Celtic Park going wild, it wasn't very long before two became three. Um, again, Celtic pick up a throw-in on the left-hand side. Hatati does well to get the crossover. And if you look at the Rangers defenders, all four of them are in the 18-yard box. And they're all looking to see where the big target man, Jakimakis is moving to. Yep. And every single one of them, including Barisic, is watching to see where he goes, to see who has to mark him. And in comes a badder on the right-hand side, cutting ahead of him and getting onto the end of the cross with a fantastic finish. Probably, arguably, one of the best finishes of the night, I'd say, because of how difficult that technique is just to keep the ball down. Um, and that was the end of the game for um, Barisic. is taking off at half-time after that. But, but I think by that point, a lot of people were saying the game was done. Oh, definitely. You can't wait. You can't not win a game from three nothing up at half time at home in such a you know, such a big match. But uh, yeah, I, I I take that point on board completely. That probably that was the technically the most difficult goal to score because he's he's coming in at such pace from the right hand side. Uh, the ball's kind of on the bounce as, it, as it's coming into him. So it's great technique, and he gives McGregor no chance about Um And it's it's a kind of Typical goal that we've seen from him, mm-hmm. um, and if you there's a video that uh, Tifo Football have done, and it's like a tactical analysis of Ange Postecoglou and the way that he plays, and when they identify um, Abada as one of the players, his his role is to kind of pull out wide to the right as much as possible, and then you give the defender that question of does he pull wide also and then leave space in the middle, or does he drift into the middle and leave Abada? And that's exactly what Barisic has done for that goal. He's he's just ignored the batter because he's too far wide at the time then Hatati's getting the ball to cross it. So by the time the ball comes in, the batter's made his run. It's completely unmarked. And it's it's a fantastic goal. And it's one that you can see is something that's been worked on in, in the training ground. Absolutely. That is that is one of the key things is Celtic from set pieces, you're seeing something a bit different from them this season. It's either the short corners, they're mixing it up. Even with throw-ins and uh, free kicks, you're seeing something a wee bit different. And yeah. that's 
that you can see that they're clearly working on that. Um, exactly. The whole the whole inverted fullbacks does that for us because it gives us those additional midfielders, which then allows the centre midfielders to pull out wide. And again, you're then imposing yourself in the opposition all the time, asking them the question of who do they track, who do they leave free. Invariably, they're going to leave the wrong man free at least once or twice in the game. And we've been clinical enough to capitalise. The second half wasn't as entertaining as the first, it has to be said. Um, and Rangers definitely did come back into it. Uh, Arfield fires over from across from Tavernier on the right-hand side. As I said, Kent must have had three or four shots from at least outside the box, which Hart kind of found quite comfortable to grab. Um, the closest they came was definitely Ryan Jack's effort coming off the bar. The only thing I have to say is if Rangers are going to be... Uh, reduced to shooting from long range, we do have to close them down because there is every chance that one of those goes in and it changes the game, it gives them a bit of energy, they pick themselves up. So uh, we do have to close them down. I certainly think in the second half of this game, Celtic were very lethargic. We saw that. uh, There was almost a tiredness coming into it. We changed it up after 60-odd minutes, brought a couple of subs on, done the same after 70 and um, towards the end with young Ben Doak coming in. Um, after 80-odd minutes, but it is going to be a case of fully utilising our squad here on Sunday, maybe using the five subs up a bit earlier than predicted, but just keeping the energy through the team because when we're playing at that level that you see in the first half, at times we are totally unplayable. Yeah, we are. Um, I don't think we can sustain it for the full 90 minutes, but if we get our noses in front like we did in that game, we don't need to. I actually feel that we the uh, second half of that game was maybe not perfect game management, but it was very good game management. Because it, I think I think we came out and played, uh, you know, slightly slower tempo for the first fifteen minutes of the half. But once that was done, Rangers were never going to come back in it. They they weren't going to get a uh, get a, a strong enough foothold in the game from that point on. I don't feel um, as good as it is, as you say, that we're restricting them to long range efforts. We do need to be closing them down especially if it's somebody like Ryan Jack, because uh, I think he's a, he's a pretty decent player in the midfield for them and he's got a very good shot on him. It's not the first time that he's come close from distance. So, yeah, obviously, we need to get closer to them. And we, we will do earlier on in the game. Um, uh, and, yeah, we've got the five subs. I think we need to use them. I think Ange has been using them lately and he's been he's been more keen to bring subs on earlier on which he wasn't previously when perhaps his options were a bit more limited and we only had the three subs. He's now making changes at halftime if he feels it's right or he'll make a change or a double or a, a triple change even on the hour mark just to freshen things up. Um, and we've definitely got options there on the bench that allow us to do that. It, we can you know, switch things up personnel-wise, bringing fresh legs on for like for like, but also um, bringing on players with kind of slightly different skill sets for different moments in, in the game. Yeah, and we saw that Forrest came on for Abada, Mieda came on for Giacomakis after 60 minutes, McCarthy for Hatati after 70, and the two late subs were um, Soro making his second appearance in this fixture this season um, on the 88th minute against uh, for O'Reilly, and Ben Doak coming on for Jota. Now, there wasn't much else to talk about in the re- between then and the end of the game, apart from a header from Goldson, which again, he was unmarked, and that's something that 
you'd think Celtic would have learned from the first game. Obviously, we're restricting their chances, but it is something we have to keep an eye on. They do have very good crosses of the ball at Rangers, and we do have to watch out for that aerial threat that they um, can cause. We've scored, they've scored plenty of headers against us over the last couple of years. I'm hoping that we can make sure that our, our marking is touch tight and we don't let them uh, get that free shot on target. Yeah, and I, I think with that one that you highlight, though, it was very late in the game. It was 3-0. I'm not going to say it didn't matter if he scored because it wasn't going to change the outcome. Obviously, it matters. You don't want to lose a goal. But I think earlier on in the game, Carter-Vickers staff felt in particular were very switched on. They were winning most of the balls in the air. Mobile phone companies say they offer home internet. But if their internet comes from a cell phone network, you should know. It's just phone internet, not home internet. Keep your home up to speed with Cox. Cox Internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5G home internet. Cox is the real home internet you're looking for. Based on Cox analysis of UCLA speed test intelligence data, Q3 2022 and Cox serviceable areas, visit cox.com slash internet for details. It's the Marketer's Report. This week, Patrizia Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, Direct Consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on the difficult task of building and retaining consumer trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy, and we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. The best thing for us to do is to build a relationship with our consumers. And if those consumers have a relationship with the DJs that are on air, then we want to build on that. House of the Dragon, which was one of our most successful, if not the most successful campaign we've ever done for a show, audio was a core part of that. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. Not just a media company, iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. So, you know, I think you've got to take into account that what that was five minutes to go, three nothing up. If you're going to switch off in the game, maybe that's when you will. But we've seen enough, I think, this season in other games to suggest that those two will stay switched on for the full 90 minutes if the game's in any sort of doubt. Absolutely. Now, Jimmy Young comes in to say Maida, Gigi and Jota. He's given us his front three. Give us your predictions of who you think will line up for Celtic on Sunday. Disco Land also saying that Calmac versus Jack will be a battle. Absolutely will be. Um, I'm going to give my 11 um, and then I'll get Kev to give his. We'll bring some of the rest of them up. I've gone with Joe Hart and goal, Joseph Juranovic, Cal Starfelt, Cameron Carter-Vickers and Greg Taylor. Um, I've also went with McGregor and Hatati, and this is one of the I'm saying there's maybe one or two positions I'm not sure about it's either going to be Rogic or Matt O'Reilly for me it depends how fit Rogic is after that tackle the other week obviously he didn't go away with Australia I think if he is fit considering his previous performances at Ibrooks, he'd be the one that go in for me and O'Reilly's just a great option to have off the bench and then up front I've went with Abada, Giacomacus and Jota. A lot of people I'm seeing in the comments section are picking Mieda. That's probably the other position that's up for grabs is probably do you play Mieda and Giacomacus up front or do you just go with the kind of um, out-and-out wingers in Abada and Jota? So, Kev, interested to hear who you've got. 
Um, I can't pick a team. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going... The the back five picks itself is Joe Hart, Juranovic, Kertovicar, Starfield and Taylor. I think that's, you know, everyone's defence. McGregor plays in the midfield and then for me it's what to play alongside him because if he, I, I believe he's fit, I'm, I'm going to go with Nir Beaton probably uh, to kind of hold the midfield, push McGregor into the eight and then it's either O'Reilly or Hatati alongside, uh, alongside McGregor because I don't think... You know, unless Rogic is fit enough to play for 70 minutes, I wouldn't start him. As mm-hmm. much as he's, he thrives in this game, if he's not fit to play at least 70 minutes, I'm not going to start him. Um, so that's probably my midfield, but I'm open to also a probably your midfield of McGregor, Hatati and O'Reilly, just depending on what kind of energy we want there. And then up front, again, I'm in so many different minds. You know you know how Brian says he sits there and argues with himself about everything? That's exactly <laughs> what I'm doing here. Jack Amakis is centre forward, and I'm, I'm deciding on that one. And then it is it's Yota and either Abada or Maeda, and I can't decide which one I want to go for. Uh, I don't know if I want my uh, yeah, Maeda to run at them for the first hour and tire them, and have uh, the more tricky Abada coming on, or if I want Abada to tire them out with tricks for the first hour and then have the pace of Maeda. Uh, I'd probably go with Maeda if you want me to stick my head on someone because uh, I think his high press and ability to like, press high up the field will be very helpful uh, in, the, in the opening stages of the game. So let, let's go with him up front with Yota and Jack Amakis. Akrobat coming in to say he would go with Hart, Ralston, Cameron Carter-Vickers, Staffel, Juranovic, Cal Mack, Rogic Hatati, Jota, Jack Amakis and Maeda. I'm still not 100% certain on Juranovic playing left-back, although he did play very well there in the, the first game of the season. Uh, Robert Wallace coming in to say, Hart, uh, JJ, CCV, Starfelt, Taylor, Beaton goes into his team as well as yours, Cal Mack, O'Reilly, Maeda, uh, GG and Jota, and the underwater cabbage salesman saying, drop <laughs> Maeda calling is harsh. Do you know what? It's, it's a very difficult decision and it's one that Ange Postacoglu is going to have to make, not us, thankfully. Um, but it is a, a great sort of um, headache to have is having so many good players that you can only pick 11 of them. Um, for me, I think Maeda's not necessarily looked as comfortable on the left wing as what Jota has. I do think he is a very good player and I think we're still to see the best out of him. But Jota and Abada, just going back to that game in February, I thought they had the, the two full-backs pushed as far back as possible and that's exactly what you want, especially at Ibrooks, because it's going to get their fans on their backs. So I would have Jota on the left, Abada on the right and I would definitely keep Jack and Marcus up front because if the crosses come in, he causes them a lot, a lot of problems, and he's in some great goal-scoring form. So I think for me that's it. You look at the bench that could come off there. You're looking at guys like um, Ralston, as we just mentioned, Roderick or Matt O'Reilly, James Forrest, um, David Turnbull back in the side, Maeda if he doesn't play, uh, Beaton to come on and secure that midfield where McCarthy had done the same job. Um, unbelievably, uh, Albin Ayeti scores a hat-trick in a, a behind-closed-doors game and suddenly he could be on the bench. Um, we're speaking about Maeda. Uh, 
Dembele as well, who's been in and around the squad over the last couple of weeks, and also potentially a returning Kyogo Furuhashi. So there's so many players to pick from in that squad that I think Ange is going to have maybe seven or eight of these players that are going to be on his team sheet. And his thoughts between now and Sunday is going to be who the other three or four are. I agree with you, Robert Highland. I don't think David Turnbull will start, but he is a good option to come off the bench as well. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's an amazing turnaround from where we were at the start of the season. Basically, our options at the start of the season at times were, are we, do you want the cold or the flu? You know, <laughs> there was no, no great option. And now we're sitting there debating over who starts because this player offers us something different to, to the other guy. Um, we have options and we've got five subs. So we have that ability to put it aside at the start of the game that might have that bit, of, bit more energy to go and really <coughs> excuse me, press high up the field and push Rangers back and take the game to them. And then we've got other players that can come on and either keep that going or slow the tempo down if that's what we need. So basically, as you say, yeah, there's probably seven or eight players that will be stick-ons and then the rest is, how does Ange want to play the game? Uh, and that's that, that's how he'll, he'll pick his team. That's going to be key when it comes down to on Sunday. And we will be watching the game and doing it live this Sunday, um, 30 minutes before, at half-time and 30 minutes after the game. So if you don't want to listen to that annoying idiot that is Chris Boyd, then do tune in to us on Axom uh, this Sunday. Now, we've got a couple of things that we need to try and get through in the last five minutes here. Uh, the first one is the Adidas Youth Tournament. Our under-15s and 17s are heading to the, the USA in a week or so's time. Our under-15s will take on Austin FC, Seattle Sounders and Sporting Kansas City. The under-17s take on Atalanta United, New England Revolution and FC Cincinnati. It is 40 of the best youth academies in the world divided into 10 groups of four, 16 will qualify for the next round. So although Celtic aren't playing any of the bigger teams just yet, they still have the chance to play the likes of Manchester United, Roma, Porto, Valencia in the next round. Two things on this, um, Kevin. First of all, great experience for the young players. And we're speaking about youth development and encouraging players to stay at the club. Things like this will massively help. And secondly, a chance now that COVID is starting to wean off and we're starting to see the travel restrictions. We're seeing the benefits of having that Adidas sponsorship and being part of some of the biggest youth tournaments in the world. Yeah, I think this is a fantastic thing for the young teams. It's a great experience for them, great exposure to go out to such a big kind of world, internationally renowned tournament. A great learning experience to come up against, as you say, some of the the biggest and best academy teams in world football. and They'll not get to experience this kind of thing just playing domestically. So it's a great learning curve for them. My only tongue-in-cheek disappointment about this tournament is that uh, the Hungarian side, Jury Ito, have not been invited. They are an Adidas-sponsored team also, just in case. Um, but they have, they've got, actually got one of the best sort of youth academies within this region. So I'm kind of tongue-in-cheek disappointed that they're not there. But um, yeah, from a Celtic point of view... I'm to join next year's tournament. That's how it is. Well, that's I'm starting the campaign now. So, yeah, they'll be there next year. <coughs> but, yeah, from a Celtic point of view, I think it's fantastic. And it's the kind of thing that we should be encouraging the young teams to be uh, becoming more involved in. 
Yeah, and these games are going to be shown live on Twitch and on YouTube, so you'll be able to look at some of the um, great young players that we've got coming through the Youth Academy, so we'll check them out. And we will be covering the tournament here on a Celtic State of Mind. Now, finally, we have we finish up this week with our Not the 10 O'Clock News segment, which uh, Kevin Graham introduced. And I just want to take this opportunity to actually um, put a bit of praise on my co-host, this afternoon, uh, Kevin McCluskey, um, not just for stepping in, um, but this is a unique story and it shows how we can connect throughout the world um, through the, the the art of fan media or through podcast as such. So um, for those who weren't aware, over the summer um, I was hosting a, a um, podcast where we looked ahead to Euro 2020 and one of the guests that came on um, was Adam from UK UKRFUT24, which is a Ukrainian football podcast. Um, and he was basically giving us the lowdown of the Ukrainian team ahead of the tournament. And because of that, we kept in touch. And obviously people will know what is going on in the world at the moment between uh, Russia and the Ukraine. It's not uh, very great that's going on over there. Unfortunately, Adam and his family did have to, to leave the Ukraine, um, but they found their way to Hungary and not too far away from our own Kevin. And Kev, you've now got a set of friends that we would never have known of if it wasn't for podcasting and for a state of mind. Yeah, indeed. It's, um, you know, it's, it's, it's sad that it's come around because of what's going on in the Ukraine, um, but it's one of those kind of beautiful things about football uh, and sport in general, that it can bring people together. Um, and yeah, through through the podcast that you were doing over the summer and obviously having the connection with Adam, um, he, he reached out to me through my uh, Hungarian NB2 Twitter account that I've got because I'm a geek and follow the Hungarian second division. Um, and yeah, we got to got to chat and find out that he was... Uh, we're staying in a, a small town called Martinvashar, which is about 40 minutes or so outside of Budapest, where we are. So, yeah, we um, you know, went down to see him and his, his family. They've, they've now managed to relocate into Budapest itself for the time being. So we're, we're quite close close by. Um, you know, I'm not sure if he would ever thank me for it, but I've taken him to a Hungarian third division match last weekend, and we've got plans to go to a game after uh, the Glasgow derby on Sunday. But yeah, it's, uh, it's something, you know, we've been brought together under these circumstances that normally wouldn't happen. Uh, what we've been able to do, um, if I can kind of just say just now, is we've been able to provide for him and his family just um, kind of, I don't know, a human touch, moral support, whatever you want to call it, um, by being able just to go spend time with them, be a sounding board to them. My wife, being Hungarian, is able to provide some sort of... Uh, you know, assistance for, for helping to find work and accommodation and getting through the, the whole bureaucratic system here in Hungary. So that's been, uh, it's been great that way. Um, and a, a note that I've got from Adam uh, himself today is just to kind of thank everyone, uh, not just on a Celtic state of mind, but, you know, in Scotland and across Europe for the support that they're showing to Ukraine and the people uh, there because it's that kind of positive energy that... Um, that feeds its way through to to the folks back in Ukraine. They've seen the images of the support and uh, they're all kind of very thankful of it. So, yeah, 
not the uh, not the nicest way to get to know someone, but Adam's a great guy. His family are fantastic as well. Um, and yeah, yeah, you know, I don't know what else to say on that one. Really. It's, no, it's, quite, it's, quite, it's quite an emotional kind of topic at the moment. Yeah, considering everything that they've been through. No, it's definitely a credit to yourself, Kevin, your family, and we look forward to maybe having Adam on one day just to see what he is uh, is like. And I'm sure he's enjoying the Hungarian football. It maybe takes his mind off some other major matters at the minute but no great and that's a a lovely segment for us to wrap up today we'll be back tomorrow with uh, John Paul and Paul John as they look ahead to the game on Sunday Um, leave us a like on the video it really does help us Um, it helps with the algorithm on YouTube I'll hopefully be joined by my other co-hosts but if not Kev you're welcome back anytime mate (laughs) thank you very much Colin I will take you up on that and we'll get Adam (laughs) on sometime as well exactly until then Everyone else, have a great rest of your day and we'll see you tomorrow at half twelve. phone companies say they offer home internet but if their internet comes from a cell phone network you should know it's just phone internet not home internet keep your home up to speed with cox cox internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5g home internet cox is the real home internet you're looking for Based on Cox analysis of UCLA speed test intelligence data Q3 2022 and Cox serviceable areas, visit cox.com internet for details. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Sports Social Podcast Network. 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 Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.